Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, March 12, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps Lois, the 12 Traditions Bonnie P, and for the text, Michelle H, Penny C, and Janice M. The reference number for Tuesday, April 11, 2014, is 6028. That's 6028. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of us, for His will for us, and the power to carry that through. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. And just a reminder for everyone to remain muted. I hear some uh, bells in the background. Um, I will now ask Bonnie P. to read the 12 traditions. Hi, uh, Bonnie P., from uh, compulsive overeater from California. 
the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for membership for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. For each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Bonnie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two for liter- from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers of the text is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does, not, does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to unmute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We are on page 32. We're going to start with that second paragraph and revisit that from yesterday, which begins a man of 30. And then we'll continue with that second paragraph at the top of 33, this case contained. And we're going to try to keep our sharing to that second paragraph, the new paragraph for today. I'm going to ask Michelle H. to start reading, please. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Vision for You. Um, This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that would not <clears throat> would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief 
which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And so, yes, we reread that one paragraph to um, give the example that Bill wanted to give to demonstrate, to show us um, what he's calling a powerful lesson, this case, this example. And he states it first in the long paragraph, talking about him falling victim to this belief. And he says that it's practically every alcoholic has this belief. And it's about, you know, a period of sobriety and self-discipline that that's going to qualify me or an alcoholic, me to be a compulsive overeater, to be able to eat like other people, to become, I'm going to become qualified to be a normal eater. And, and he says this is a very powerful lesson, and then he repeats it again. First he says practically every alcoholic, and then he says most of us have believed, you know, that, that this is true. This is, this is what my problem is. This is, as he pointed out in the beginning of this chapter, more about alcoholism. This is my great obsession that, you know, one day I will be able to enjoy and drink or eat like others. And and he's saying, you know, here's a lesson. Let me expose this because I certainly um, didn't realize that that's what I was believing. Um, but that happened to me. I would have um, periods of abstinence. Um, I had a, what I thought was a rather long stretch. It wasn't nearly what this man had. I had like a two-and-a-half-year stretch. And, yes, the, deep down there was that belief um, because that's why I picked up again. I looked at a, a normal eater, and I looked at myself. I looked at her outsides. I looked at my outsides. There was some weight loss. It's like, okay, now I'm qualified. I, I didn't know that that's what was my deep belief, but that's what I acted on. That's what I did. I picked up again, and I picked up right where I left off. Um, and so this is the truth. Um, that has been demonstrated for me time and time again that I'll never be qualified. There's nothing. There's not self-discipline. There's not willpower called self-discipline. There's not any kind of stretch of abstinence that's ever going to qualify me to be a normal eater. I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater. And it's important for me to know that truth um, because if I'm going to plan to stop, I must, I must know this. I must know this truth. And Bill is taking the time to say, here's a powerful lesson for me to know. There can't be any notion. I have to know it that I am a real compulsive overeater. And 
he's taken the time to to expose this, to, to show us. Here's the deep belief that uh, most of us have, practically every compulsive overeater has. I'm no different. I am no different. I can try to tell myself that I'm different and that this time it'll be different, that obsession that's in my mind that wants to tell me that. Um, but as we're told in the beginning of this chapter, it has to be smashed. I have to see the truth. I have to see this is a very powerful lesson and Bill is taking the time to, to teach me, to teach us, to teach me that I have, there's not going to be a defense against this disease of mine except a higher power. Uh, and he's going to come on to tell us the good news of that. And um, because of a power greater than myself, greater than this mental obsession, but it isn't going to be me. It's not going to be my stretch of abstinence. It's not going to be my self-discipline. And I have to know that. And today I know, thank you, God, I am a real compulsive overeater. I will never be able to eat spontaneously. I'll never be able to eat like other people. Um, that is my truth, and that is what saved me, to know that truth, because then I'll be willing, then I'll be teachable. Then I, I know I want to hear what you've got to say if I believe this and know this truth. Grateful for that today. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. I'll pass. Thanks, Michelle. And who would like to comment on the paragraphs just read, concentrating on the second? Hi, this, this is, is Jared in Colorado. I heard someone right before Colorado. Who is that? This is Jackie. Hey, Jackie. And then who is from Colorado? Sharon. Sharon. Okay, we'll have Jackie and then Sharon. Okay, thanks. Okay, um, you know, I think this is my real problem in staying abstinent is that I have this lurking belief inside that I'm not really a food addict. I'm not really, but I don't know how to to stop that little nagging that comes comes into my head. And I'd like to hear what people do about that. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Jackie. And Sharon, your turn. Hi, this is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Over in Colorado. Can you hear me, Kim? I can hear you fine. Okay, thanks. Um, thank you for your service and welcome to everyone out on the line. Um, boy, this paragraph is just uh, just speaks to my heart exactly over every single sentence. Uh, and I did come to understand this powerful lesson uh, back in July 2012 when I first started listening to this meeting and going through this process just the way it's laid out in the big book. Um, I, I too, um, you know, thought that if I remained sober for a long stretch, then after that I would be able to go out and eat normally and be like, uh, you know, be able to stop and all of that. And uh, the longest period I had was five years of abstinence, and that was back in the 90s. And, um, and then I just kept struggling and struggling and struggling. And um, what just jumps out at me on these uh, pages now are um, as a result of the doctor's opinion and then reading this book, uh, 
the God has worked in my mind to show me all the facts, and I no longer have that lurking notion or reservation that, you know, if I'm on this plan or that plan, and if I'm on it for a long time, and if I weigh and measure and all of this, and, you know, I'll be able to go back out at some point and do exactly what other people do that don't have this disease and be able to, you know, stop after two cookies or stop after one piece of pie or stop after, uh, you know, one thing of ice cream, whatever it is. Uh, and so I could not get, I could not get well because I still believed the lie and I was trying to base my recovery rooted in a lie. So it wasn't until I totally, totally understood the core of my being that I had this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and then began to follow this book just the way it's laid out like I'd done years ago in another program and that was the beginning of my being able to be a recovered compulsive overeater rather than always being recovering and then in relapse, recovering, relapse, recovering, relapse. That was, that was what I experienced for so many years. So I'm so grateful to A Vision for You and for this big book study that has given me this opportunity to experience what it's like one day at a time to stay recovered and to work these steps exactly the way they're laid out in this book and to see how God is doing for me what I was never able to do for myself because I I wasn't willing to uh, believe to the core of my being the seemingly hopeless state of my mind and body when it came to this food addiction. So I'm just so grateful to be a, a part of this group. I'm so grateful to have gone through the steps, and now I'm able to help other people go through this process as well. And uh, just very grateful to be here on the line today. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Sharon. Who else would like to comment on this article? Hi, Justine from Boston. Justine, is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, go ahead, Justine. And then we'll have Debbie. Justine and then Debbie. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Justine from Over Here from Boston. Ah, this is a really good paragraph. Um, you know, I um, I unfortunately had to test this theory myself. Um, when I came into OA, I... I really, I, you know, I read this and people said again and again um, that the disease never goes away, that if we pick up, um, you know, our alcoholic foods, our binge foods, that um, after, you know, stopping for a period of time that we will again lose control over over them. And, um, you know, I had about a year of abstinence and then I decided hey, what the heck, I think I'll try it again. I'll see if this really has me or not. And, um, you know, I had wholeheartedly believed initially that um, I was powerless. And then just uh, slipping away from the steps and all of that, um, it was really slipping away from the steps that landed me um, back in the food. And uh, there I was again sitting in the dark in the winter eating an entire gallon of ice cream. Um, And... Um, unfortunately, I had to have that experience to show me again how true this is. And um, in a way, you know, that was helpful because now I know. Um, now I know that the disease never goes away. It's um, it's there always. 
it's permanent. Um, and so I need I need the spiritual tools of the big book. Um, I need God. I need my OA fellows. I need other people to talk about their experience with this to remind me that I'm never cured, that I'm still going to react the same way to these foods time and again, um, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, three months from now, 50 years from now. So um, a day at a time, uh, you know, I need to um, abstain with the help of God and all of you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Justine. And Debbie, you're up. Hi, my name is Debbie. I'm a real compulsive overeater from Chicago. You can hear me? I can hear you, Debbie. Uh, I'm grateful for this uh, morning meeting and for those of you that do service to keep it possible. I've heard this paragraph a gazillion times, and as I listened to it this morning, there are a lot of feelings that come up. Uh, Gratitude, anger, sadness, anger. Um, I've been in OA since September of 1987, and I have about 48 days abstinent again. Um... The last time I went back out there, my sponsor said to me, she says, Debbie, I know you'd give up blood and limbs before you drink or drug, but I'm wondering if you get it that the food is in the same category for you. And I said to her, I said, I must not, I said, because I keep relapsing. I said, and every time I go out there, it's just like the guy in the story, you know, I'll have been fine, I'll have been abstinent, and then my disease will say, you can take a little of this and you can take a little of that. And not all the time, but sometimes I end up back down face first in the food like a pig in a trough, and sometimes it gets halted. But, you know, I guess even though I I work a really hard program, et cetera, et cetera, I guess there's still this part of me and I don't want to beat myself up for it. There's still this part of me that still doesn't get it, you know. And 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 I I guess I feel two ways about it. Part of me hates this disease so much, and the other part of me is like, okay, if you're going to keep coming, I'm going to keep coming. Um, I'm sick to my stomach right here right now because of something that I ate yesterday. Uh, and so I guess today I just pray to let go of that lurking notion that I am or will ever be, you know, because this, this, this disease is insidious. It's like, well, you go to all these meetings and you work all these steps and you do this and you do that. And so I guess if I wasn't doing that, uh, I would be dead. And the, the final thing I'll say, my therapist said to me yesterday, he said, you're working really hard to keep from committing suicide. And so part of that hard work includes continuing to listen to these meetings, to go to meetings, to work the steps with the sponsor, to surrender my food, to not beat myself up. Um, And I'm just sad. I'm just sad and angry because there's no degree, there's no diploma, there's no surgery, there's no vaccination. But there is a solution, and I'm grateful for those of you who work on this call every morning to bring us to that solution. Thanks. 
Thanks, Debbie. And I'm going to jump in here. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And it says, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday you will be immune to alcohol. You know, that if word is very powerful. This is the condition. This is the condition. This whole chapter, more about alcoholism, is the reason I need to come to a 12-step program. If I simply had an allergy and I was sane, I could make the decision not to eat. And I would be fine. I wouldn't be tortured by these obsessive thoughts which I have. It's the mental state that is the crux of my problem. And I have to recognize that I have this twofold nature. If we are planning to stop drinking, what I did for many years, I planned to moderate. I planned to lose some weight. I was willing to, to abstain until the doctor got off my back and I got off the diabetic medication or maybe till that wedding so I could fit in the dress I wanted to fit into. Or for me personally, it was until I get that guy to ask me out. And it's letting us know that we have to know that we have to stop drinking. No reservation of any kind. If we believe 1% that we can control and enjoy our eating, that 1% is going to kill us. I use an analogy I think we all can understand. If I go to a vending machine and my, per- my favorite binge food is in that vending machine and it says it costs a dollar, if I have 50 cents, do I think I'm going to put that in there and, and half of the candy bar is going to come out? If I put in 70 cents, do I think that maybe I'll get a little bit? I can put in 99 cents and I accept the fact that I will not get that binge food. And in fact, I will crawl around the cushions of my couch. I will go under the, the seats in my car. I will ask a complete stranger if they have any spare change on them. Because I understand if I don't have that full dollar, I'm not getting any of my binge food. And yet, what I hear, hear here and what I've even heard with some of the sharing is, maybe I can get away with it. Maybe. Maybe I can indulge once in a while. When I get to goal weight, which my goal was always to get five pounds underweight so I could have that cushion to binge. The only thing that kept me moving towards my diet was the reward of the banana split at the end. If there is any reservation of any kind, any lurking motion, any idea that I will ever not have this allergy, I'm going to be taken down by that mental twist over and over. So that is the question you need to ask yourself. Are you planning to stop drinking for good? Are you done? Because if you're not done, you're not going to submit to this program with the tenacity that you need to. And we've already been told on page 31, if you're not done, go out and do some more research and development. And we will be here to hold out our hands when you are truly done. And would anyone else like to comment before we move to the next paragraph? Larry. Leah. I heard Larry. I heard Sarah. I heard Leah. And then I heard Heidi. Did I miss anybody? Monica. Okay. And then we'll do Monica. Okay. Thank you. So Larry, Sarah, Leah, Heidi, Monica. Larry, you're next. Hey, thanks, Kim, for your service. Larry recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, when I read this, um, you know, about this powerful lesson, um, 
you know, when I think about where I am today, what I'm reminded is I didn't do this for myself. God did this for me. You know, that's, that's what I call my higher power. I call my higher power God. That's what happened to me. So, you know, I mean, I remember the first time I had achieved uh, abstinence for 30 days. <laughs> Forget 25 years, 30 days. Wow. Look at me. I'm looking better, feeling better. I had arrived. And um, this, that was the longest stretch of uh, abstaining from my binge foods that I had in my life up to that point. I mean, imagine four decades of daily abuse of my body, um, and that was the longest stretch. You know, so here was a man of 40 who found he was just where he left off a mere 30 days ago. You know, once a compulsive overeater, always a compulsive overeater. So, you know, I hadn't had a spiritual awakening yet, and my daughter had a sleepover, you know, teenagers, preteens, I think at the time, and, you know, and I, boy, I was just feeling on top of the world. I, 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 look what I did for myself. And out came the Skittles and the pizza. This is what the girls were having. They were having what girls, you know, have at a sleepover. And I don't know why I picked it up. I didn't intend to pick it up. I had no plans to pick it up. But I picked it up. You know why? Because once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You know, and so that was my period of sobriety, 30 days. And I thought I had this, I thought I had this licked. I thought I was done with this thing. I, as a matter of fact, right before, I can remember as clear as day, that right before I picked up, I was, because um, I had no intention of picking it up, I was thinking to myself, wow, I can't believe what's happened to me. This is the most amazing thing. I don't have cravings. You know what, you know what else I didn't have? I didn't have a spiritual awakening because I never worked the steps. I was holding my breath underwater. Yeah, the cravings because I hadn't elicited the allergy. The, the allergy had not manifested itself. But so why would I pick up? Because I had a strange mental twist that just said it was okay, just like this guy. How did I get the spiritual awakening? Why am I on fire today? Because I had a spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps. And for me, you know, working the action steps in particular, four through nine, I mean, I got right with myself, I got right with God, and I got right with others. And so now I don't want the food anymore. That's what's happened to me. That's what that's what's what's different about me today. So it says, you know, or much earlier in their solution, the tremendous fact every for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution, the steps. We have a way out, the steps, on which we can absolutely agree. This is the great news we carry to those who still suffer from this disease. It was the steps I never believed that that would those simple steps would then allow me to have a spiritual awakening sufficient to arrest this disease, not cure it, but arrest it where I don't want it and I'm happy about it. I'm not restless and irritable and discontent this morning, and I still have the you know the the big storm there's that in Chicago there's a big snowstorm you know um i the storm's calm. I got all kinds of things in my life, economic issues and all kinds of things, but I don't want to pick up the food. Not because I'm, I'm white knuckling it and I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, because I work the steps finally 
with the right mindset. I was courageous and, and fearless. Now that I had to do. God was not going to do that for me, but I did it. And look what God has done for me. I'm still amazed. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Larry. And Sarah, you're up. Thanks, Kim. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Uh, I love where we're at right now in the big book. Uh, it's it's so meaningful. Uh, you know, if if I was told today, if God whispered in my ear and said, Sarah, you know, you either can live or die, and it's your choice, and tomorrow will be the day, you will die if you don't choose a path. That's how I have to look at my addiction. That if I don't choose the path of sobriety, then I'm going to die. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm multi-addicted, but what I realize is, you know, and, and I work in the medical field, that this disease is killing so many more people than even alcoholism is. And it's just not labeled as being compulsive overeating is the reason for the death. And I know for myself, I can say that I did not live when I was in the addiction. You know, I, I was killing myself. And, you know, I didn't have relationships. I, I wasn't clear in my life on decisions I made and on, on the things I was doing. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, a lot of this, Coming to this place is about my lack of humility. You know, I didn't have the humility to be able to say, God, help me. I need help. You know, somebody help me, you know. And, and it, I have to come in crawling on my knees to get to the point where I say, yes, I truly believe that I need the help. I mean, if, if we look back on our history, if I look back on my history of what I've done, regarding food and regarding my behaviors around food and regarding my behaviors and the unmanageability of my life. I mean, not just the food, my life. You know, my four marriages, my my inability to take care of my children, my inability to be a good daughter. I mean, if I really look at that, what a blessing I have. And I'm tearing up thinking about it, that I have been able to actually have this change occur in me, that I am a different person. I'm not a perfect person, but I realize that this has given me life. It's almost like, you know, like like oxygen. Like it's really, you know, like I've been reborn, been given a new chance, and it's here for all of us. The only thing that we need to do is be rigorously honest about ourselves and come to a place where we're willing enough to have humility to ask for the help. And it's there for us. We just have to want it. And thank you very much, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. I've passed. Leia, you're next. Thanks so much, Kim. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leia. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. So, of course, you know, the big book gives us a great example of this man, you know, who was sober uh, for uh, 25 years and then, you know, picked up. Um, you know, is this guy's real problem that he has a physical allergy to alcohol? 
um, which will never go away. You know, that allergy of ours, the phenomenon of craving, uh, is, is here to stay. You know, it's here to stay. So is this guy's problem that he has an allergy or that he has a form of insanity that tells him it's okay to drink alcohol? And, you know, I had, I had to get that piece. I had to understand that. You know, I had to understand that. First of all, I didn't understand and uh, accept to the depths of my core that I had an allergy, that my body is different. I am bodily different from other people. When I pick up certain substances, um, it is going to trigger the phenomenon of craving. But the greater problem here is my mind. I have a mind that sends me back to that which will kill me, you know, um, and I, and I had to understand that until I understood what this... Maya, can you hit star one? Thanks. Um, until I understood that the greater aspect of my disease was this obsession, was this illusion, this delusion uh, that was dominating my mind, I didn't have the urgency to work these steps the way it's laid out. You know, I had to, I had to, I had to, uh, you know, really understand that I was dealing with a killer disease. And that this thing was never going to be wished away, prayed away, uh, you know, <laughs> there was going to be no magic. The program of recovery is miraculous, but it's not magical. So once I accepted, you know, by being beaten to a pulp, this was no intellectual exercise here. This was being beaten to a pulp, that I was dealing with a killer disease. Once I was able to fully concede to that fact, then I was empowered. I mean, the reality here in Overeaters Anonymous is that most people don't stay. And it's not because, uh, you know, this program doesn't work. The trouble with compulsive overeating, um, and it kills people like me, is because although there is an answer available to me, we're reluctant. Even though there are suggestions given that can arrest this disease and enable us to start a whole new life, there is hardly any enthusiasm to pursue that. We want something to happen to us as if it's a miracle. Um, you know, so I had to get beaten to a pulp. You know, that's why the text says, if you don't believe you are who, what you say you are, then go out and try some controlled drinking. Because until you believe that it's much worse than you thought it was, then the steps are just going to hang on the wall in your local uh, OA meeting unread, you know, and, and not implemented, unless that you believe that you're, you're going to die by this thing. You know, if not physically, at least, uh, you know, spiritually. I mean, they say that death is the greatest loss in life. I think that walking around, uh, you know, just merely existing is, is worse than death. I've been there. You know, I felt that just watching life and, you know, abstinence, just merely um, putting down my substances was not enough because the flame may be doused, but the pilot light always remains, meaning, you know, there always came a day, a week, a month later, whatever it was that I would get this 
obsession, this thought that dominated all other thoughts in my mind that I could pick up, that this time it would be okay, that this time I would have just won, that this time I could just binge and start all over tomorrow. And that never happened because the disease is progressive. For me, both overeating and recovery have been progressive conditions. Compulsively overeating was progressively downward. Recovery has been progressively upward. So I don't know if you're like me. I mean, I'm in this game 27 years. You know, I had other dreams for myself. There's other things I could be doing early in the morning and late at night arranging the programming for the next day. But this is what I've been given. You know, this is what I've been given. Like, I've been given blue eyes and it's here to stay. Well, and you know, I've been given compulsive overeating. It's always with me. And all I can say is if you are a compulsive overeater looking for a way out, we know exactly where you're coming from because that's where we've been too. And I found, uh, you know, someone who knew this text and knew the steps and, uh, you know, they assured me that with their guidance uh, and the guidance of the text that I could have a spiritual awakening, a personality change, and not live that way anymore. And if you don't want to live that way anymore, then you can do what we did, and we can take you by the hand, and we can walk with you, and you can have your very own spiritual awakening, and you too can be free from this madness. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. And Heidi, you're next. Heidi, hit star one. Hi, this is Heidi. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, Heidi. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Thank you, uh, Kim G, and thank you to everybody in the line. This is Heidi, recovered compulsive overeater in South Florida. Um, I noticed in the big book how they mentioned this guy's age a couple of times. And, you know, he started at 30 um, abstaining from alcohol, and then at 55, um, when he retired, he died. And it, it did mention his age a couple times. And I was thinking about myself when I came in. And, um, well, basically, what the big book is telling me is that I'm never going to outgrow compulsive overeating. doesn't matter whether I'm 30, 10, or 90. I'm not going to outgrow it. And I was 27 when I came into OA, and... Um, before I came in, I really thought I would outgrow it. I truly did. I thought that I would learn the right exercise program or, you know, the right healthy way of eating, and I've tried every healthy way. Uh, none of them ever worked. And where it says once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, people keep stressing that because it's very important. <laughs> you know, um, this isn't going to disappear from my life. I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater. In fact, I always have been. I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't. And, you know, I'm one of those people who's, I have other food allergies, but like deathly food allergies. I'm deathly allergic to shellfish. And I, I won't go anywhere near shellfish. It'll kill me. And if I've truly taken step one, I treat, my, my trigger foods the same way. I cannot go near them. I cannot go near certain foods. I cannot go near certain chemicals that they put in foods, and I can't go certain, near certain food behaviors. Um, and, I, and I believe that that step one has 
been a, a, a big reason as to why I've been in recovery for so many years, but it's got to be followed up with the rest of the 11 steps, you know, because as we've seen with this guy, he abstained from alcohol, but once he started drinking, he went right back into it and he killed himself. Uh, I will kill myself. It doesn't matter how many years I abstain from compulsive overeating. Um, if I don't take the rest of the steps, I'm I'm dead. And even if not physically, spiritually. And thank you all. With that, I pass. Thanks, Heidi. And Monica. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So this case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here's a man of 55 years old who found he left, he's right where he left off at 30. So the big book here is, is teaching me that even though I might put the, the alcoholic foods down, uh, I'm not cured. I may not be having the physical cravings part of the disease because I'm not indulging in those things, but I still have this crazy thinking going on. And and the, I think here we're, they're giving us a powerful lesson. You know, they're, they're talking about their experience. And my own personal experience is similar to this. You know, I was in my 50s when I came into OA. And so I had tried over and over and over again. And it sounds like it was always a diet, you know. I always believed that the end of the diet, when I reached my goal weight, that I was cured, that I had it figured out. And I did this over and over and over again. But, the, but my history showed me the same results. If I got back into those allergic foods, I would eat and I would go crazy. And, it, and, and as I got older, it got progressively worse, progressively worse. So what happened? What brought me to OA? Well, I got desperate. Nothing was working. I was scared to death. Every, I was gaining a lot of weight and going back up over 200 pounds. The pills weren't working. The doctor wasn't working. The, uh, you know, the, the, the paid uh, diet clubs wasn't working. And, and it was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm, what, is, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I am really scared. This has got me. So once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And so I came into OA and I've been taught at the beginning with doctor's opinion that I have a disease. I am a real compulsive overeater. And I will always be a real compulsive overeater. And they're saying here that it, it's a progressive disease. It gets worse. And my own history showed me that. And um, if we are planning to stop, there must be no reservation of any kind or any lurking notion that someday we'll be immune to alcohol. Well, I didn't have quite that thinking when I first came into OA. But you know what? I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was desperate. And I was willing to do what these people that I saw that were recovered said I needed to do. They said, work the steps, Monica. You got a twofold disease. You've got the, the physical aspect of it, that you're allergic to these foods and you must put them down. And you'll be allergic till the day you die to these foods. And the other aspect, and that's what this chapter is teaching us about, is the mental obsession. You know, I could put the food down, but I could never keep it down. My mental obsession. I have an abnormal mind when it comes to this food. It tells me it'll be okay this time. It'll be different this time. That was my history for 50-something years, believing that lie. So what I did I have to admit? I had to admit, you know what? 
I am a real compulsive overeater. I am powerless over this. I'm powerless over the fact that I have this allergy, and I am powerless over the fact that my mind is going to tell me a lie, and I will believe it every single time. I have for 50-something years. And these people said, you know what? We've got a solution. There's something that can help you with this, and it's called a higher power that's greater than you that can relieve you of this obsession of the mind. And how do you get that relationship with that higher power? You work the steps. And guess what? It works. I have been relieved. And that's part of the promises of step 10. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. These are the part of the promises of step 10. After working and cleaning my house, that I'm going to get some relief from this obsession of my mind. I'm not cured, but I do get relief on a daily, on a daily basis alongside work this program. So if you're in there and you're suffering, there's a way out. It's called working the steps, and with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. And Penny C., do you want to read the next paragraph, please? Sure. Good morning, everybody. This is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overreader in Massachusetts. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think they can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it, because none will really want to stop, and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win, he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. I see this paragraph as a warning. Uh, I think after telling the story about the, the men in the last two paragraphs and realizing that there were young people, people under 30, coming into the rooms of AA in greater numbers, that Bill W. said to himself, we need to, we need to give them some kind of uh, admonition that, you know, just because this man could stop for 25 years, just because he made up his mind. But there's another little piece there that, in that, those paragraphs about the man of, of 30. He made up his mind to stop drinking and he gave himself an, a, a time limit until his business was successful and he retired. So one of his goals for retirement was to be able to go back to drinking. And, and it told us in preceding paragraphs there can be no reservation of any kind, no lurking notion that I am a real compulsive overeater and that I, I someday will be able to eat like a, like a normal person. So Bill's saying, you know, watch out, you young people, because we, that, that man was probably an exception that he could stop for 25 years on his own. But he was, he was only waiting for the day when he would realize his demise, planning for it. And that is part of the peculiar mental twist. Peculiar mental twist to me, to me means a very strange, baffling mental process. Because that's the way I could still think. 
You know, I mean, if I don't continue to enlarge my spiritual life, and if I stray away from these, this 12-step way of living, I think someone or I could convince myself that I could eat normally. After all, you know, almost 27 years abstinent, Penny, come on. You know, why can't you? Why can't you have one of, one of that sweet or, or one of your other alcoholic binge foods? So today I do what I need to do, and that's that, you know, I, I, I pay attention to the spiritual practices that are going to keep me in recovery. And I work with others, and I find that is one of the, the, the most powerful ways that I, I am able to stay in recovery with the help of my higher power. So thank you. I'll pass. Thanks, Penny. And we have a couple minutes. Does anyone want to share on this paragraph before we close? Hi, Kim. Nicole, could I share? Okay, I heard two people, but I couldn't get the names. Lauren, this is I heard Lauren, and then who was the person behind her? Stephanie. Stephanie. Okay, and then Janice. Janice, if you don't mind, we're going to do Lauren and Stephanie to close the meeting. And maybe you can share the after meeting. Go ahead, Lauren. Okay. You know what? I'll just share for a minute if if I can. This paragraph, Hi, Lauren, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am I'm so blessed to be recovered. God willing, I'll remain recovered. And I, I identify when they say young people of 30 or less because that is my age bracket. And um, I was so grateful to find this program. No one I knew of my friends and, and uh, were in OA. God propelled my fingers to type on my keyboard one night, OA meetings, Pittsburgh. And I... I don't know why I was able to to get recovered. You know, I worked. I I just thank you, thank you, God. And um, this is powerful, guys. If you're anything like me, you don't have to be. You don't have to waste another day, another moment, another year, another generation in this disease. You can get recovered under the age of thirty, just like I did. You know, ne- always inclusive, never exclusive. With that, I will pass. Thanks, Lauren. And Stephanie, for a quick share, please. Thank you. Hello. Can everyone hear me? I can hear you. Hello. Stephanie, I can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie, gratefully, I'm gratefully recovered, bulimic and compulsive overeater from South Florida. I... I have to share, I relate to the fact that I am under 30. I came in when I was 19, and I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, like, always in in meetings people would tell me how lucky I was to be so young and in program, and I never took that for granted. I have to say that. And I, I can't even express how much I love this program. And coming in at 19, I was open and willing and listening. I didn't... I didn't do a lot besides come to meetings in the beginning, but um, I came to meetings. And my experience has been, and as far as peculiar, twisted thinking, um, that's like what, I have a lot of that going on. And what I love the most about the rooms is how much I related to anybody, no matter what age. 
um, they would share, and I would find my head bobbling back and forth just like I do in these phone meetings. So I came in, and it didn't matter. Like, I didn't, I truly didn't see age. I didn't really care. When, um, when I'm desperate, I don't care. I don't feel like I judge um, as much when someone in the rooms with um, years of abstinence is telling me, you know, they did X, Y, and Z to recover. I am going to do X, Y, and Z to recover. I'm not going to question it. And I think that's been really helpful for me. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning, but I just wanted to get better. And I, like I said, I wasn't ready at 19, but I was at least willing to come. And now, fast forward six, seven years later, I'm still here. And now when I sit here, like, I'm willingly still here. So something, a lot, not just something, is working for me in my life today. And it hasn't been perfect at all. But I, it's, it's like once you know what the solution is, I, I can never go back to the way I used to be. I don't want to. And I've tasted all kinds of food, but once I have had the freedom from this disease, and not only me, because this isn't even about me, when I've experienced it in others, and that's why I go to meetings, and that's why I wake up every morning and I'm on this phone meeting, there's nothing more beautiful to me. Um, it, it gives me the hope. It gives me so much hope, and that's why I keep coming back. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to just say that for, like, being a young people, a young person um, in this fellowship, I believe in it. And I only can believe in it because I've done what I was told to do by other people that have done what they were told to do and then it's just chain and then it's that's what fellowship is. That's what this, the whole point of this program is. And I'm grateful for everybody in every age and I can relate to anybody. It, you know, sometimes I, I see people come in and um, they're younger and they're like, oh, there are just older people here. I can't relate. And I'm just like, you're not desperate enough. And that sounds so judgmental. But I know for me when I'm desperate, I don't care what you look like. If you're telling me that there's a way to get better and this big book is telling me like there's a solution and to this, to this twisted thinking that I have because and I need to hear this every morning. I need to hear this every second of the day because even though I don't want to go back to what it used to be like and people tell me, oh, remember your rock bottom so you won't go back to it, it doesn't matter. Like I, I've tasted freedom from the obsession. I've, I've um, remembered vividly. I've kept a Polaroid picture of my rock bottom. At this point, no defense against that first bite. Like I am in my heart, in my head, in my being, in all of me, I know that I am going, I am a food addict. I, I, I need, I think I need food to be okay. And I will do anything instead of turning to God into the steps left to my own devices. So I need to be reminded of the allergy that I have everywhere because I know it's a mental obsession and the physical allergy, but I just feel like it's in every part of me, not just like my head. It takes over my entire body. And I don't know, I'm so grateful to be a part of this program, to be a part of this fellowship, and thank you for everyone who shared. Um, have a beautiful day. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. It's now time to close the meeting. I want to thank everyone who has shared, everyone who has done service for the meeting, the almost 300 people who listen live, and a special shout-out to those who are listening on the recording later today. Uh, we will now close with a reading from the big book, on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Janice, will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. be glad to. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.